Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader. And in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult. And, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Christopher Bradbury, and Chris is the principal at North Home Grammar School in New South Wales here in Australia. Love having a chat with uh, with other Aussies. Also, not to say anything against our guests from, from elsewhere in the world, but it is always a lot of fun to chat with an Aussie. Uh, Chris, welcome onto the show. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, uh, first of all, can you tell us a bit about North Home Grammar and, uh, you know, what you do as principal? Uh, thank you, Jono. Uh, North Home Grammar is in a semi-rural setting in northwest uh, Sydney. Uh, the school is essentially nestled um, in the Hillshire and the Hornsby Council area. Um, we're a small independent school of 490 students from kindergarten through to year 12. It's an all-through school. Uh, meaning that um, our primary years and our secondary years are on the one campus, uh, which is a terrific advantage because it allows us to be quite strategic in terms of our educational approach and philosophy. And we have strong continuity in terms of our staff working closely and collaboratively together in, in both the primary and secondary settings. It's a co-educational school. Um, and uh, the, the four school values are learning through scholarship, caring for others and self, living a faithful life and contributing to the community. Uh, North Home Grammar, uh, by design, when it was founded in 1983, was committed to being a small independent school that could deliver a level of care that differentiated from larger entities uh, and a school that would focus on academic excellence through scholarship, um, pastoral care, looking after the, the well-being of all students and um, having a dynamic co-curricular program so that we could ensure that all our students would be able to experience a holistic, broad education. Yeah, wonderful. What a great snapshot. Thank you for, uh, for giving us such a, such a wonderful sort of snapshot of North Home Grammar. Uh, now I'd love a bit of a snapshot of, uh, of Chris. <laughs> as you look back, you know, even, even as far as childhood, you know, as you look back, what are some of those moments when you were younger and, uh, and maybe a bit later through, through your career that you look back at and think, wow, that really shaped me becoming the leader and, and the person that I am today? Yeah, look, it's a little bit boring re reflecting on, on my upbringing in the sense that I always wanted to be a teacher. I was very passionate um, to pursue that, that career option. When I was in primary school, five and six, I wanted to be a primary teacher. And, and then once I entered year seven, um, I was committed to, to wanting to be a secondary uh, years teacher, uh, which is where I moved to. And I, I did consider journalism and law, but, but I always had a real passion for, uh, for teaching um, and, and to move into education. And I think when I reflect back and look at my schooling days, I love school. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was able to develop uh, a number of friendships that, um, that I, I still maintain today. 
which, which I think is in incredibly important. And I tried as best as possible to get involved in everything that school had to offer. Um, so I, I love sport. I played a, a lot of rugby league and, and cricket and uh, I was involved in debating and public speaking. Um, I had the opportunity to be school captain, which was a, a tremendous opportunity. And I think those particular experiences really helped in developing the person that, uh, that, that I've become. Um, so moving into education, there was a real strong commitment to first and foremost in, in being a, 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 the best possible teacher I could be. But, uh, but secondly, that I could, I could be involved in as much of, of the school experience, the school life, yeah. and uh, coach rugby league and coach cricket and mentor in, in debating and, and public speaking. And um, I, I was particularly fortunate looking back that um, through my experiences in, in rugby league, I um, had the opportunity to coach the, the junior representatives um, for, for the Parramatta Reels in the, um, in the Harold Matthews. And, um, and oh, wow. I did that, yeah, I did that during my, uh, my 20s and I found that to be um, uh, just a really defining experience in terms of, A, pursuing my passion of rugby league, but I learned a lot about leadership and I, I learned a lot about, first and foremost, working with, with the players, but also working with uh, the parents and, and, and the organisation itself. Yeah, wonderful. That's, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big sports fan. I love rugby league. Uh, for those outside of Australia, rugby, uh, well, you've got rugby union and you've got rugby league. And um, I don't know how else to really explain it outside of Australia because you've got different countries that play different <laughs> versions of the sport. But we, it's a very big sport here. And NR, the NRL, National Rugby League, is, and Parramatta is one of those teams. Which is that? Is that your local, uh, a local team where you're, where you're based as well, Chris? That's right. I was coaching um, at uh, my, my former school, uh, Patrician Brothers Fairfield, yes. which was in the, uh, the, the Parramatta district and, um, and yeah, support the team and, and the local area. Amazing. Yeah. And is that school that you previously worked at, do they do quite well in the junior uh, competition? The name rings a bell from, from me watching some of the junior rugby league sort of um, uh, some of those schoolboy sort of competitions. It rings a bell. Is that where I would have heard it from? Is, do they do quite well in that competition? You know your schoolboy rugby league history well because um, Patrician Brothers Fairfield with St Gregory's Campbelltown yes. uh, were, were the two premier schools in rugby league pretty much throughout the 70s, 80s and the early 90s. And um, I was fortunate to, to be at Fairfield during that time. And, yeah, rugby league was the, was the premier sport. Ah, amazing. Yeah, that's, there you go. I, I thought that's where I, that's where I, re, I recognize the, the name of the school from. Amazing. So uh, I, I want to chat more about your story, but let's, let's zoom in on this experience you had as a coach, because I can't help but ask about that because I find it so interesting. What were the biggest lessons you learned from coaching that team, particularly in, in such a, you know, a really a, a high level, like an, an high stakes young sporting competition, what were some of those lessons that that you learned that you now might apply also in in as a as a principal and school leader? I think on reflection, one of the great lessons is your role as a coach in developing talent, but developing the team. And when you're coaching at that particular level, you're you're blessed with a number of players who who are incredibly talented. So you're working tirelessly to improve their individual game, but there's so many factors that come into play in terms of how you're able to mould a team. 
and and how the collection of that individual talent can can come together and as a result uh, work work together to to be able to um, win matches and and, and obviously um, uh, be highly competitive in terms of um, taking out the premiership. So mm. it was it was really a case I think of of learning the importance of preparation, of of vision, um, the the importance of inspiring players to be the best players that they could be, but also the best versions of themselves. So that meant developing a strong culture of punctuality, um, pride in in the club, pride in the team. Um, and then developing the skills of deliberate practice and taking on feedback. And, and as a coach, being mm-hmm. able to form a strong coaching staff um, and, a, and a coaching team environment as well. So that I was working very closely with the strength and conditioner and my assistants and our manager and trainers um, so that we were constantly growing and improving um, throughout the journey and, and the pro- process to, to be the very best team that we could, uh, we could become. Yeah, I, I love chatting about this because I think, uh, and I've mentioned this a few times in the podcast, the biggest thing I've learned from this podcast, and I do learn a lot, I feel like I, I, uh, it's the ultimate, you want like the ultimate sort of uh, education in an area, do a podcast where you chat to people about that. And for me, I, I'm learning from leader after leader. And it's so, it's so great. The thing that comes up again and again is that great leaders really see their people and their team as as not there to support them and help them do X, Y, or Z, but they see their role as to support their team. And that's what I like about a sports coach is because your coach is very much winning the championship through those players. It's not about the players helping them. It's about them getting in and supporting the players. And there are, it's funny what you've mentioned. There's so much of that that I can see straight away how you go from rugby league to, to school leadership. And really, let's be honest, any leadership and there's great crossovers and, and, uh, and parallels. And that would have really helped you to grow as a leader from having that experience. Oh, that's definitely the case. And, and, and I think you've hit the nail on the head with the importance of people, um, great teams in sport, great teams in business, great teams in schools are, are, are a product of, of leaders um, paying real attention to, to the people within their team. And I, I think it's just so important that, um, that leadership in general is about connecting with people, ensuring that they have a real sense of belonging within that environment, and that you're constantly checking in and you're constantly um, demonstrating to players or students or colleagues that mm. you care and, and that you're invested in them and, um, and hopefully that you have the, the influence to, to allow them to realise that they're part of something quite big and unique yeah. and, and they can play a special role um, in that particular process. I think that's incredibly inspiring and uplifting. Yeah, I love what you mentioned there about caring. Uh, and one of, the, one of my favourite ideas is in the book Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And, um, and Kim talks about a a plot of four quadrants and um, on your, you know, your left, your vertical axis is, uh, is how, you know, how caring you are as a leader and your horizontal axis is how much you challenge. And the idea of the book is Kim. She says, you want to be in the top right quadrant. And what does that mean? It means uh, the bottom left quadrant is a leader who doesn't care enough and also doesn't challenge enough. The top left quadrant is a leader who cares intensely and shows that to their people, but fails to challenge them. 
And in the bottom right quadrant is a leader who challenges their people, but fails to care for them and doesn't mm. care for them. And up top right is radical candor. And that's what you just mentioned, which I love, which is, and I think this is a great question for leaders to ask themselves is, what am I doing, which you just described in a great way? How can I care for my people? How can I, how am I checking in with my people? If I, if I'm listening to this going, John, Chris, I do, I care deeply. Well, do your people know how much are you caring for them? But then the flip side of that as well, which once again, the sporting uh, sports is interesting because there's no other domain. That's why we love sports, right? There's no other domain that so clearly shows you who is winning or losing in terms of, you know, measurability is sport. You know, it's 10 to three, 10. Well, that would be a strange score. It's 10, six. And that would be, um, you know, that you've lost. And, and so no matter how much you care, there would always be, I think that's something that you get in sport is naturally and it, it attracts people and who want to compete and to be challenged. But it's about that top right quadrant, you know, where I care deeply and my people know that I care deeply and I challenge them intensely. And by being in my team or in my school or under my leadership, they know that I've got their back and I care about them, but I'm also challenging them every day. It's a really nice way of, of, of articulating that, that point. And, and I think one thing that I've learned in leadership is that with those check-ins and, and in terms of caring, frequency um, trumps quality. I think sometimes we can get a little bit preoccupied mm. that we have to set up the meeting and we have to have a half an hour or 45 minutes, which, yes. which is we do. We, we, we have to do that. But... Um, one of our goals this year as a, as a school within our staff and our, our middle and senior leadership is that, um, that, that we, we understand the teams that, that are established within our, our organisational chart, but that each leader touches base with each of their members of their team once a week and it's just a simple check-in of how are you, what are your priorities this week, how can I help? And, and there will be larger mm. meetings over the course of the term and the year. But, but if every leader at North Home Grammar is able to get to each of their team members, and, and, and then that translates to teachers. If our teachers could get to every student, just a quick conversation, how are you? you know, what, what are the key um, priorities? What are the key areas that you're working on this week? How can I help? I think that's incredibly powerful and, and that, that contributes to a really healthy work environment. That's fantastic. I, you reminded me of something and I cannot remember the source of it. Otherwise I would honor it because it definitely doesn't come from me, but it's this idea. And I feel like there's a piece of research behind it, which is why um, I, I wish I could remember where I heard it, but it was talking about celebrating the wins and it was exactly the same idea that you just said, which is why I, I, it sort of, um, I sort of lent in when you mentioned it because I was like, oh, that's such an interesting idea that it applies here as well as there. But when it comes to celebrating the wins, the idea, and I believe some research behind it was saying, look, celebrating regularly, it's actually the frequency with which you celebrate. It's the frequency with which you even reward. I think it was talking about rewarding and celebrating the wins is will trump uh, the the quality of the reward and the quality of the celebration. And it holds us back because we think, oh, I don't want to say in passing about uh, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, it's the same thing there. It's like, if we can, if we can make it a habit and increase the frequency of how we celebrate our people um, in, in celebrate those small wins, point out those behaviors, um, it's about the frequency. And it's funny, it's funny how true this idea is that frequency can trump 
um, you know, quality because it, it's the same with accountability. It's not about having these big, that's why I struggle with performance management quarterly meetings as a, you know, when it's not done well because the person doesn't see you for three months and then all of a sudden you're having this one big meeting. It's like, once again, the quality of that meeting is, is trumped by frequent accountability, little pieces of feedback given in the moment specifically about a situation regularly trumps big, brilliant, clever performance management um, meetings and encouragements and, and plans. Oh, that, that's so true. And, um, and I think just as you've pointed out, the celebrating the wins with great frequency, so too commiserating the defeats and, and hopefully there's not many of those mm. but um but i think that with any journey that's you know within schools or business or or in sport it's so important that when we when we make mistakes or when there's particular um aspects of of our targets that we don't meet um that we do commiserate that well and and that we learn from that experience and that there is that um that, that level of, of support that, that's provided to players and coaches and, and, and staff. And, and, and I think the performance piece, that's, um, that's one that is subjected to ongoing research and, and rightfully so, because we've got 360 degree feedback processes and we've got appraisal systems. But I, I do like a, a suggestion that was made by, by Marcus Buckingham, who mm. really simplifies the performance management process where he indicates that, that essentially four times a year, a leader should ask four questions about mm. a team member. Yeah. And uh, one of those questions is, or the first two are actually on a scale of one to five. So the first is, I always turn to this person when I need extraordinary results, one to five, five being great. Uh, I choose to work with this person as much as I possibly can, scale of one to five. And then the last two questions are yes or no questions. The first being, this person should be promoted today, yes or no. And this person has performance problems I need to address today, yes or no. And I really like that framework because performance management is, is essentially, um, it's a feeling, it's a perception. Um, mm. we're, we're conveying to someone uh, what we feel and what we see and what we observe about their performance. And we can sometimes get bombarded with, ticking boxes and um, giving ratings for a, a whole multitude of aspects within a leadership role. And essentially people are going to be very good at most and, and developing in others. But I think those four areas, I think they, they hit the spot in terms of, um, you know, if, if this person's achieving great results and, and I want to work with them as much as possible and I would promote them today, um, well then, that, that's where you act. How are you continuing to, to grow that particular person? And, and what is the career trajectory for that particular colleague? And, and if you're answering at, at a point of considering giving a performance review um, that you're having performance problems, well, hopefully you've been addressing those with the colleague, but sadly yes. too often um, people haven't. So I think simplifying that, that process of review, and again, I think that can become a lot easier with the, with the frequency of conversations. Yeah, I I've never heard of those questions before. I I love that uh, that framework. That's that's great. Um, particularly that idea of uh, what what was uh, the first the first two questions is. Uh, can you just say what those first two questions are again? Because they're so good. Yeah, I always turn to this person when I need extraordinary results, <laughs> yeah. and, and I and I choose to work with this person as as much as I possibly can. And 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 the, and the beauty of it is that. 
it's it's the it's the coach or the leader telling their re their reaction so it's their it's their personal reaction to to the person's impact and influence and you're actually making it about you um because all that's that's what you can reliably um, yes. count on in in terms of the level of that contribution so so i i think there's a, a number of real positives in terms of simplifying the process mm. and and if colleagues realize well that's that's quite straightforward those four areas uh, yeah at the end of the day i do want to achieve extraordinary results and i want to be a person that everyone wants to work with so that in itself provides a fantastic foundation to build on in your in your daily practices and routines yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's I, I, I've loved chatting about the rugby. I'll ask you one more question. I can't help but ask this. It popped into my head when you were talking about coaching, and I've always been fascinated by this. How did you find, it, as a coach of a sporting team, that how did you deal with fantastically skilled players who maybe sometimes didn't display other behaviours or team uh, team buy-in and really putting the team first? How did you manage that? That's always something with sport that I've watched with interest. How do you? How did that play out as a coach? And, and how did you manage that? If you ever had a player who was exceptionally skilled, but for the other reasons wasn't doing great in terms of putting the team first, how do you manage that as a coach? What, what did you do? I think that was one of the great experiences being involved in the junior representative program. And, and, and that differentiates a little to the to the senior levels because it was very much about the education of 16, 17, 18 year olds um, in their development as rugby league players, but 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 also as 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 men of character. Um, so so we talked a lot about those key values and principles that were important. Um, and that's going back to the the areas that I addressed earlier, the pride in the uniform, respect and manners. Whenever we entered the classroom for a review session, you always took your hat off. Um, we, we had a practice that the players stood when another adult had entered the room and that wasn't necessarily a coach, that was any member of the organisation. And we actually implemented quite strong um, policies that um, if a player was, was caught committing a misdemeanour outside of rugby league, um, then, then they wouldn't play. There, there, would, there would be a suspension. So, so we were very strong in terms of the importance of the representative aspect. You're representing the Parramatta Eels. And, um, and I think the key, the, the key developmental area there was that as a coach, you had to be very honest and transparent in terms of what your expectations were. And, um, and you know, quite often you'd have some um, robust conversations with a player who, who knew that they were very good, but they may have been playing more, uh, more of an individual style game rather than a team game. And as a result, you then had to make an assessment of, you know, this player is a great player, but but not great within the team environment. And and I think openness, I think transparent conversations, and 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 giving very clear feedback in terms of um, what optimal performance and optimal behaviour look like, um, was was a key to success in terms of fostering a really strong culture on and off the field. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you for answering that. That was um, that's something that I've been uh, wanting to ask, you know, I, and probably something I'll ask any anyone who's had any experience coaching a sporting team because I I find that a really fascinating leadership conundrum, and particularly at senior senior levels, interesting to hear you make that distinction 
because I've watched, I, I, my number one sport is soccer, you know, football as they call it in, in the UK. Um, and recently there's been some examples. My, my team in England is Manchester United and we have, you know, one of the two best players in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo. And yet it's been, uh, you know, as of now in 2022, the team just can't quite gel and break through, even though it's one of the most expensive teams. And it's an amazing testament to, you know, when they've been beaten recently by some teams that are worth a fraction of the price, but the team has gelled. And then you've got a player named Yang who uh, was at Arsenal, a club, and has left and solely left saying my only issue was with the manager, a guy named Mikel Arteta. And it's just interesting to watch. I don't know the details, but watching and seeing, and he was a legacy, like a fantastic, he's left a great legacy in terms of goals and performance. And yet there was something there, and I don't know the details, that that meant that he left this club and he left really the manager. Um, and I just find because of these, these leaders, it's different to school leadership. It's different to any other uh, leadership, some of these top level sporting coaches, because you have such a limited time frame. You're really sometimes, and the NRL here in Australia is a bit like that. If you're not performing after 10 matches of taking over a team, you can, you can um, get the sack. That's right. Well, it's, it's, it's that high performance culture where the expectation is results. So, so managers and coaches need to work their magic quickly and, um, and, and identify obviously the areas for growth and improvement and, and development because um, a number of CEOs are, are not terribly patient because winning obviously contributes to bigger crowds and, and, and merchandise sales and, and all those particular areas. So um, yeah, look, I, I, I think there is a lot to learn from sport that is translated even in education. Um, I think because education, um, uh, there's so many positive things about how schools operate and, and function, but there is at times a, a little bit of a reluctance to engage with high performance. Um, and, and I think that comes from the fact that teachers by nature are incredibly caring and, yes. and, and are very supportive of students. But, but ultimately in education, we, we want to provide that strong pastoral care, that caring, supporting environment. But but we do want students to grow and perform in character, but, but also in terms of their learning. So schools have to be meticulous and clinical um, in, in being very clear in their strategy on what great classroom teaching and learning looks like, feels mm -hmm. like, and, and create an environment where there is a quality teacher in every classroom. And that as, as educational practitioners, we can understand and gauge where we're having a profound impact in terms of, of growing student learning. And I think that that's starting to develop a lot more in education. Yeah, I agree. That's really interesting uh, perspective, Chris. I, I like it. Uh, as we fast forward in your career and you started, um, you know, teaching and stepping into some leadership roles, what have been, you know, are there any moments that you reflect on and think for you as a leader, you had a mentor or watched someone and you were just blown away with how well they dealt with the situation, or maybe there was something where you dropped the ball and, and made a mistake and it's been really pivotal and formative because I've certainly learned the most from my mistakes more than, more than the best seasons. I don't know. Are there any moments like that that stand out for you so far in your career? Oh, look, there definitely were. And, and, and I'm, I've been very lucky in my teaching career because I, I started uh, in a selective high school at uh, Helston Agricultural High School at Glenfield. And, and that was a, a strong academic school. And, and my first four years, um, 
meant that I was surrounded by a lot of experience. Um, I was certainly the youngest in, in the uh, entire um, uh, staffing um, department. And I just learned so much from, from great teachers who had a wealth of experience. But, uh, but after that four years, I, I spent 12 years at the King School at Parramatta. And, uh, and I had the pleasure of, um, of, of working with Dr. Timothy Hawkes, who was the head of, um, of, of the King School for 20 years. And, and in that 12 years, um, he provided me with a number of opportunities um, in leadership. I was a year coordinator, I was a housemaster, I was a head of department, and then I concluded my time there as a director of teaching and learning. And um, there's many times that I, I sit in my current chair as a principal, and, and I think back to a number of the conversations that I had with him and just the general observations of, of his leadership. And it was a real blueprint, I think, to a number of the important qualities and processes of, of what strong leadership looks like. And you know, a great principal at any school can have a significant influence in terms of, of, the, of the culture and the environment. And, and he, had, uh, he had very clear pillars. It was a very clear vision um, that he was, he was consistent on and, and staff bought into that. And over that 12 years, having the, um, the very fortunate pleasure of, of being in a number of different portfolios, I was able to see just that, that level of impact that, um, that a strong mentor and leader can have. And, and as a result, a tremendous learning experience. Yeah, that's incredible. I love hearing stories like that because I, I always love reminding listeners in these moments, you know, what, because we all want to be that leader, right? We all want to be that leader that someone comes on the podcast, you know, 15 years later or whatever it is and says, you know what, that leader, John O'White, he was the one that, and, and I think if we want to be that leader, it's worth paying close attention to what it is that all of us remember in our own leaders that we really admired um, so thank you for sharing about that. I'm interested to know, are there any specific stories that come to mind from his leadership where you watched him? And it's always funny in these moments, the things that, that pop into our, head, into our heads. So um, no pressure if you can't think of anything, but if you, if you can, are there any moments that come to mind where you watched him navigate a situation and it really stuck with you with how he dealt with a, a parent or a student or, or the staff through a, through a particular situation? Yeah, no, look, I do, and, it, and, it's, and it's quite a simple one, but it, but it had a real impact on, on me. Uh, when I was Director of Teaching and Learning, um, Tim popped into my office and said, can you, can you join me in my office? I have the uh, Director of Studies uh, with me as well. I want to ask you a question. And, um, and it was in regards to a delicate matter regarding a student, um, and, um, and it was, it was academically influenced. And we sat down and Tim said, Chris, we know this is the context. What are your thoughts? And, um, and, and I gave my opinion. And, um, and, then, and then he asked the director of studies, what do you think? And, and he gave a, a similar opinion. And then Tim just sort of sat there and he sort of tilted his head thinking about it. And, um, and he summed up succinctly what we had said, but, but actually went another direction. And, um, you know, in situations like that, you, you may perhaps feel, oh, well, I gave my opinion and he, he's gone the other way. But the way that he explained it, it was just terrific because 
there was no doubt that he truly listened to us and he had considered that particular line of, of action. But through the decision that he made, he, he was able to demonstrate that he listened to us and that he understood that there were good points there, but gave the reasoning as to the way that he will go with that particular matter. And, and I just thought that was, that was quite powerful because I, I generally felt, as did the Director of Studies, that our view and opinion was always given great weight. And, and more often mm. than not, he would agree with what we had said. But I like the fact that he's the leader. He was the, he was the headmaster. And he would listen to people, but ultimately he would make the decision. And, and I think that's so important in leadership. Lead, leaders have to take accountability and responsibility for their, for their decisions. They need yeah. to listen. They need to gauge the room and understand the context. But, um, but there comes a time where a decision needs to be made and you need to move forward. And we both left that room just like every conversation that we had, feeling that <laughs> our opinion and perspective always counted. On this, at this, this particular moment, it wasn't the way that he went. But... Um, but again, I just I just thought it highlighted the real strength of um, of, of quality leadership. <laughs> I that is just a wonderful story, and yes, it's simple, but it is so profound. I can see why that had such an impact on you. I can imagine the leaders listening to this out on a jog, you know, getting rid of a bit of a stress from the big day or <laughs> from a big day or on their way home from work, and they're shaking their head, going, "Oh my goodness, how did he how did he do that?" Like that's that's why it's so remarkable. And what I love about it, one of my favorite books, it's in my top five, uh, really, is is a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. And I, yes. I love it as a as a as a way to approach strategic planning. But it's actually even richer than that. It just has great insights. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, but you just you just nailed it with you just reminded me so much with that story of the principles in the book that they talk about how to implement change. And they're talking about big transformation, you know, uh, turning a sporting club around, you know, like level of, we need to, we need to start getting results in four weeks. So that's, that's the context, but I think it applies in all leadership situations. And they talk about this idea that if you want people to buy in like you did, and that's what I love about that story, you left the room after you'd shared your opinion and he went a different way, which is what I love so much, you left the room going, yeah, that was really considered. And that's what I think people will be shaking their heads going, how do I do that? And Blue Ocean Strategy has this great framework that they call fair process. And it's three E's. How do you achieve fair process? And, um, and this is why a lot of us as leaders, we, we can offend people and we wonder why. We're like, no, but I made the decision. But if we don't give people fair process, then no matter what the outcome is and whether it's right or wrong, people will feel like it was unfair and there will be a lack of, um, of buy-in and, and you really lose people. You definitely lose engagement. And the three E's is engage, explain, and expectations. And you just, that story is, I'm probably going to use that story at some point. I think it was just so good, Chris. Um, coming into the office saying, come in, I, I want to get your opinion about this. So firstly, he engaged and he said, what do you think, Chris? And what, he said to the other director of studies, what do you think? And there was that engagement. Then the second step is explain. And we get afraid of this as leaders. We put our heads in the sand. We go, well, I know what I'm going to do and I don't want to offend anyone. So I won't ask them what they think. And then I don't want to explain it. And But what he did is he said, okay, thank you. He thought about it. And then in a measured approach in his own way, he's explained to both of you what his decision is going to be. And as a result, he's done then the third thing, which is expectation. So here's what it's going to look like very clearly. And you've walked out of there. And I think 
that's a great example of fair process because even though he went a different way, you felt like the process was fair and that uh, particularly, like you said, that you felt heard. Oh, that, that's right. And, and you're respected and you're valued. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we're, we're in it together in terms of making the best decisions um, for the well-being and learning of the students. And um, to, to be able to have that voice and that accessibility at that leadership level, that was that was a that was a great experience. And and there's many small conversations that um, that, that took place of that nature where you it was reaffirmed that, that you were a valued um, member of the team and 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 of, of the leadership of the school. That's just such a great story. Like I said, 100%. I'll be using that as an example because I think a lot of leaders we get cynical and we get um, knocked around a bit and we do things the wrong way, or we have uh, leaders who aren't great at some point leading us. And it's easy to believe it's just not possible. If I need to disagree with someone, there's no way to do that in a way that exactly what you said. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's going to be a challenging story in the best way for a lot of listeners, myself included. Oh, that's terrific. That, that's one of the joys of, uh, of being in schools and, and leading is, is having those experiences and those opportunities to work with really good people and, and, and to make a valuable contribution. And I think we should never lose sight of, of that outcome. So what about your uh, sort of, I'm interested to know if there are any stories for you that are those sort of highlights where you felt like, you know, just reminded you why you do what you do. Uh, as a leader, anything that's that's happened for you as a leader that really stands out as a story uh, of why you get out of bed in the morning and, and and love doing what you're doing as a school leader. Any any stories come to mind from your time as a as a principal? Oh, look, I think uh, I think there are, but but probably the 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 most uh, notable at this point of time is I think the North Home story um, because. I was I was very very fortunate to be appointed as as the principal of Northheim. I was only thirty nine at the time, and uh, obviously I had some experience on a senior executive team at a at a large independent school. But um, there was a lot of change that was that was required at, at that particular time. And um, I think now looking back on that over the last three years, I think the fortunate part of about that change was it actually had ha had to happen very quickly we, we didn't have time and um we we had to make a number of changes in terms of our staffing model um and and the financial stewardship of the school and we we had to be very strategic in terms of the educational delivery and and what the school stood for um in, in terms of our education and and that meant that because there were a lot of hard decisions that had to be made and, uh, and, and that, was, that was all for the survival of the school. So it, it wasn't just um, um, decisions that had to be made to sort of move on to the next year. This, this was yeah. about surviving and, um, and hopefully in time thriving. And, um, and, and that experience of making those tough decisions and having really hard conversations with, with, with people and, and then at the same time juggling the confidence within the community because mm. the, the change was so substantial that, um, you know, needing to, to really build that element of trust that I had, had built in the initial stages of, of my tenure, but to, to make it very clear to the community that, that there are good things that will happen in the future as a result of this, it has to happen and almost a trust me attitude. And, um, 
And, and you know, at that particular time, Jono, we, we were only 390 students. Wow. students. Um, and academically, we, we, were, we were ranked 308th in the state um, yep. when I had arrived. And, and, and this year, well, last year's HSC group, we came 45th. So the, the educational <laughs> sort of growth and trajectory and the alignment has, has simply been a result of our community. It, it's, it's just an extraordinary community of students, teachers and parents who, you know, through, through a period of, of, of tremendous adversity, then with the pandemic hitting us the next year, um, there's a real sense of pride, I think, commenting on, on that journey and, and the fact that we've, we've now moved from surviving to thriving, but yeah. that has its challenges because that needs to be sustained and, and, and that needs to be developed. And um, I think what I've learned from that, though, is that, that as a leader, you are responsible, you are accountable. Um, and even though you're making tough decisions, you, you really deep in your heart need to consider people. And, mm. um, and, and whilst those conversations and decisions are tough, um, I think you've always got to be committed to treating people with respect and dignity. And, um, but then at the same time, I'm very, very conscious that what the vision is and what you say, you need to translate into action. Because um, with that responsibility that you have of leading a school, um, you, you, you have to be leading the charge in terms of your behaviour, your actions. And, and, and what you say needs to happen needs to be needs to be led from the front. And and yeah, with a bit of luck and a lot of hard work, um, you, you can get there. And the difference that um, that that has made to the school and to the lives of many of our students and families um, is, is incredibly uplifting. Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. And it's um, that's a remarkable a remarkable turnaround with the community and, and to see some of those results must be incredibly satisfying. Uh, it, it is. And, um, and, and I think again, just reinforcing that, that the, the significance of, of community, bringing people together and, and, and being fortunate within any, any particular context, um, having people that will support you and, um, and, and, and support the learning and the wellbeing of students, which is uh, the, the paramount um, concern. Yeah, that's brilliant, Chris. Thank you for sharing that. Let's um, let's jump into now Leadership Express. I've got a few questions for you. You ready? I am. Thank you. Okay. What's a book that you've gifted to other people? There's a great book written by Stephen Dinham, uh, which is called Leading, Learning and Teaching. And I think it's an absolute must read for every teacher from kindergarten to year 12. Um, when I um, arrived at North Home. It was the first book that I purchased for all our, our middle and senior leaders. And, um, and we would always start each meeting with a, a middle leader focusing on a chapter. And, um, and, and I still refer back to that book um, now and, and we'll, we'll, we'll quite often provide a copy for, um, for, for new staff. I think it's, it's almost the Bible for what school improvement, uh, quality teaching, uh, building student voice, all those key aspects of, of what should make a great school is all about. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. And we have a lot of educational leaders. So I think there's going to be a bunch of people scribbling some notes <laughs> and, <laughs> and reading that. So thank you. That's fantastic. Uh, what about uh, at the moment, are there any podcasts, books, uh, journals, um, anywhere else that you're, that you're really enjoying listening and learning and reading or watching right now? 
Uh, because I travel quite a bit to and from school, I listen to a lot of podcasts and um, and on the weekends, I, I like to get out for a walk. So po podcasts are, are my thing at the moment. Um, I really like the High Performance Podcast, which is, um, which, which is from the UK, and they interview a number of outstanding athletes and coaches and business leaders, and each podcast goes for about an hour but it's just so fascinating listening to the stories and the experiences and what they value most about high performance. And uh, another podcast that I'm, I'm really enjoying at the moment is the Presidents and Prime Ministers with Ian Dale. I, I love mm. my politics and, mm -hmm. um, and Ian Dale started with a, an overview of each of the UK Prime Ministers and he's now looking at the, um, the US President. So I find that that really interesting looking at their lives and and then where they're ranked um, in regards to the surveys in terms of their contribution and impact. Thank you for that. That's another wonderful recommendation. I haven't heard of that one. I've, I've quoted this before and this could be made up, but I, I believe it's a true quote from Abraham Lincoln. But one of my, one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite things, I don't necessarily hundred percent agree with it, but it's such a thought provoking idea is I remember someone once told me that Abraham Lincoln would always stumble across whenever he stumbled across someone that for some reason he really didn't like, he'd always say, um, mm, I, for some reason, I, I really don't like this person. So I'm going to get to know them to find out why. <laughs> and that would, that would most likely be Lincoln. He is yeah. fantastic, but wonder, an incredible sense of humor. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately I'm, I'm waiting for the Lincoln episode. I think they'll probably, ah. I think they'll probably uh, ensure that that's towards the end. Yes. And, um, and whilst most of them are between uh, 30 minutes and, and an hour, I think the, uh, I think the Lincoln episode will be a little bit like Churchill and Thatcher. We'll probably look at an hour and a half, two hours because Absolutely. Um, you need all the time in the, in the world to, to capture um, his, his life first and foremost, but, <laughs> but certainly the, um, the contribution that he made as president. Yeah, so many fascinating stories that I've heard uh, about him. And I just love that idea that when someone really rubs us the wrong way, um, particularly as a leader, I think I'm learning more and more when I see something completely differently to someone to actually lean into it. And um, and often I, th I really believe in building teams where it's you don't necessarily, that's why I don't necessarily agree with it completely. There's someone's really annoying that you would go, oh, great, I'm going to... Um, put you on my, on my team, but it's more like when someone sees something very differently to you, that's an opportunity. And particularly on your executive team, you want to have people that see the world very, have the same maybe values, core values and, and vision, but see things through different lenses. And it's, it, it enriches your uh, team meetings and your strategic planning, all of that so much more when you have people. Uh, so that's what that sort of quote reminds me of. No, look, it's a, it's a good one. And, 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 in any team and, and certainly at the senior level, you're quite right. You need that passion and enthusiasm and commitment from, from all your leaders. But but you you do want that um, you want that difference of opinion. And and, yeah. and you want you want to ensure that you've got that environment where people can feel comfortable to voice those opinions and that there's there's an element of challenge there all the time. Um, so to, to ensure that the, the right decisions are, are made and um, and I think you know, Link, Lincoln will, will stand the test of time. But I think definitely during COVID, um, Lincoln continues to, to, to come back to the fore because he was a crisis leader um, and, and yes. he worked well with people. As, um, as you've indicated, he, he, had, he just had that ability to, 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 to know and understand people and as a result, um, get, get them to work for the cause.
<laughs> yeah, fantastic. Oh, I'm definitely going to go and listen to that. Thank you. They're, they're both great recommendations that I'm going to go and check out because they're definitely, they sound like they'll be in my wheelhouse and podcasts is, is the main way I'm currently uh, taking on a lot of information. So I love that. What about a recent leadership lesson that you've learned for the first time or been reminded of, Chris? I think, um, I think patience, <laughs> um, which, which I've, I've always been aware of. I, I'm, a, I'm a leader that, that likes to get things done and quite often likes to get them done fast. But I think a recent lesson is um, just taking that time to assess um, all, all considerations, um, to listen to, to all perspectives, to, to seek to understand and, um, and just... To sometimes it just needs that that moment that 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 night's sleep to um to to, to make the the best decision because um because i think if you don't do that you can sometimes find yourself in a position where um you don't have the level of conversations that that you should with 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 colleagues and um mm. and i think whilst patience is, is something that you know as a leader that that you want to develop and and, and improve um you know, recently there was a, there there was just a decision there that um, I, I was probably too impulsive about, and um, and we got there at the end. We we got the right outcome, but um, but I certainly learned from that that um, uh, I could have personally handled that uh, a little bit better uh, in terms of just taking that time to to assess and, and weigh up all options um, before coming to the final outcome. Yeah, that's a great lesson. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you reminded me as well as as you shared that of something that I heard in a recent uh, podcast from one of my guests. And I said to him at the mo at the time, and people can go and check it out, Emil Sayeg, E-M-I-L, Sayeg, S-A-Y-E-G-H. So he said in our, in our interview, he used this analogy of a boat. And, um, and what you just talked about there really reminded me of what he said, because he said, you know, in, in leadership, I love the analogy of a boat that you've got things above sea level and things below sea level. And for me, I'd never heard this before. Other yeah. people might have. And he said, you know, what really helps me work out whether uh, sort of uh, sometimes I find it hard to work out when, when it's okay to be more impulsive or to give people more sort of rope to really run with things and when I should be more careful. That's something I've struggled with in the past and I love a good framework. So I've, I found this really helpful. And he said, when, when something's above sea level, it's not going to sink the boat. So it's yeah. like when you're putting some hooks in the wall to hang a, a picture in the, you know, in the cabin, it's like those sort of decisions, let people run, you know, you can, you can sort of uh, not worry so much about the, the impact and really, you know, let things go. But whenever it's something that's under the sea level, where if we get this wrong, it can really bring a lot of water and create a lot of havoc and really even potentially sink the boat. They're the things that you really want to be especially uh, slow moving on. And I was just like, I've never heard that. I love that idea of asking, is this something that's above sea level or below? And sometimes going, well, oh, actually this is probably below. And I was about to jump into something that maybe needs a lot more thought or why am I taking this uh, so seriously? Or I've just got a big opinion about this that the person I'm leading wants to do. I'm just going to let them run with it because it's an above sea level thing and let's see what happens, you know, and, and allow them to fail. So that's something uh, something else to add into that thought, but I love that idea of of learning uh, patience. That's uh, that's great, Chris, especially for a transformational leader like you, where you've come in and really transformed. I can see why, um, because so much of transformation has to happen fast when you're really coming in to do a lot of fast work. So that's a great thought. 
That's right, and that that is a really good analogy. And and frameworks are always good to to, to work within, especially when it comes to the decision making um, processes. And and that's the beauty of leadership. You're you're always learning. Um, and 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 part of that learning, I think, is 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 the reflection. Um, that, um, that that is vital in terms of you know, recognising when things are going well and, and when things can be done better. Absolutely. So here's another question. Do you have any favourite questions that you ask when you're in a one-on-one with someone, when you're in a meeting? Are there any go-to questions that Chris tends to use because you've just found them really, really helpful? I like to ask people, what are you passionate about? And I know it's a simple one, but um, but I think that everyone has something or a number of, of, of particular hobbies or activities or, or, or routines or processes um, about what they love, what they're passionate about. And, um, and more specifically um, is asking people what they're passionate about at work because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of responsibilities in everyone's portfolio and, and what they're looking after. And the reality is that we don't, we don't love all of it. And, and we're not meant to, it's just not the way it, it, it works. But we certainly have to have enough things that we're passionate about and that we love, that, that we really get excited about um, in regards to our work and, and our lives. And, um, and I find that question really allows you to know and understand a lot about the person and um, what drives them, what makes them tick. And, um, and I think that's really important in, in understanding how you can, how you can assist them and, and develop them within, uh, within the school environment. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's a great question to ask is existing people on your, on your team. And even it's funny when I work with executive teams and one of the things I love doing, and really most of what I do is actually very simple, uh, you know, to be honest, but it, it's often difficult. And so um, this one isn't that difficult, but it's really just even when you go around and, and you ask about hobbies or, you know, just something where, and, and people will roll their eyes like, oh, come on, Jono, like we all know we've been working in a team, this team's been together six years. Yes. And it's a bit like that with what are you passionate about? It's funny how stuff goes under the radar and you go, what, you, you play squash? You played squash at competitive level? I didn't know that. How did I not know? You're a musician. You have a band? What? You know, and, um, and that's like people might wonder, well, what's that got to do with strategy or with leadership? But it's, it's understanding each other better and really knowing how we, how we work and, and actually taking the time to get to know each other and building that connection that I think facilitates a lot of those robust discussions that lead to great decisions as a company. And, and sadly, it happens all too often, um, uh, how you described it, in, in, in schools and organisations where people can be working together for, for a number of years and, and, and not know the person, who they are and, and, and what they do outside. And, and it's just so limiting, first and foremost, from a, from a personal perspective, but also from a professional one, because um, we don't just bring you know, we don't just come to work as our work person. <laughs> we we mm. come to us, we come to work as, as, as who we are. And, um, and, you know, it's all, all back to that point, I think about, um, you know, work-life balance, which, which I think is, is rather work-life integration. We don't have, we don't have <laughs> two cups that we're supporting, you know, we've got the work cup and got to make sure that's right. And then we've got the life cup. Um, at the end of the day, it's one, it's, 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 but it's how we integrate it. How do we, 
how do we manage um, what we need to do well at work, but at the same time spend time with our with our our spouses, our partners, and and our children, and um, and be engaged in all those fantastic activities. That's that's the integration side. I think that's important, and um, and I think it really helps if if we if we truly know people um, that we're working with. I agree. I remember chatting with someone about work life balance, and and he said to me, he said. Because uh, I was saying, oh yeah, I really, I really think work-life balance is important to me. Like it's really Im- important that I have my work, you know, really balanced with my life. And he's like, what is it about your work that you dislike so much that you got to keep it so separate from your life? That's <laughs> I, it. Thought, I thought that's such a good question. And and you know what? To be honest, since I started Clarity, I've found that I haven't needed to think about work-life balance because. For me doing this, it's, it's felt very natural to have work-life integration. And to be honest, it also lends itself to that more because I'm running my own business, which has its, its pros and cons. But one of the advantages is it can be more flexible. But that's something that I've definitely been challenged about. And I've probably changed my opinion on that. And I tend to agree with you that work-life integration is a more accurate and, and realistic idea than this idea of some work-life balance with two cups. Yeah, I think it's uh, the, the other point that, that can sort of be extended to that is is, is living a life of healthy motion, um, and, I, and I like that term that, that I'd heard once, and and and, and that is that um, you know there's there's a number of activities and, and responsibilities that we have, but um, but maintaining that that healthy motion so that we we prioritise, we we know what we need need to to master, uh, and what we need to to achieve, and. Um, and as a result, I think that that builds um, human flourishing, but it also builds uh, gen, genuine, um, uh, genuine uh, resist, uh, resilience. And um, and I think mm. that's actually critical within our education process too. I think I think teaching those those skills and having those conversations with students is incredibly important, so that they can successfully make that transition from school to life. Yeah, they're good good thoughts, Chris. Uh, what is a commonly held belief? in education that you passionately disagree with? Oh, I think, um, I think learn, learning styles. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the, the idea that um, students and, and, and um, humans in general learn differently um, and that we need to, you know, some people are visual and some people, um, uh, you know, like, like, like handouts and, and, and those sorts of things. I, 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 yeah, I think that's, that's been debunked and I think that can be quite dangerous. Um, I think we now have enough educational research and evidence in knowing what truly works um, in terms of the learning process. It's about, it's about high expectations. Um, it's about explicit teaching. It, it's about ensuring that, that students understand um, and can build knowledge. So they can understand content, they can build knowledge and that with knowledge, they can then develop the skills and dispositions like critical thinking and, and, and problem solving. And um, we, can, we can certainly establish a personalised learning environment where we're attending to students' uh, needs and, and interventions in terms of how we can improve their growth in learning. But, but the concept that there's, there's, there's different learning styles, um, I, I think, is something that, that, that can potentially be, be quite dangerous. And um, a really good teacher in the classroom has the capacity to, to grow and develop the, the students in their care through a variety of, of strategies that, um, that, that allows them to, to be the best possible learner that they can become. Yeah, great. Thank you for sharing that. It's really interesting. Uh, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? 
I, I, I think be present, um, be present, be authentic and, and be passionate. I think, I think presence is crucial in leadership. Mm, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, I think as you, as you move through higher positions from school, from a school perspective anyway, I think that one of the problems is that you can be sometimes caught too much um, on the balcony and not on the dance floor. <laughs> and you, you need, you need to get, you need to get that right. Um, colleagues, students, parents, they need to see you. They, they need to know that you're present. Um, I try as much as possible to be at the buses in the morning and in the afternoon um, to get to the co-curricular activities, to, to visit classrooms. Uh, morning tea and lunchtime, unless I've got meetings, I'll, I'll wander around the school. I think it's so important that, that the students and the staff are constantly seeing me. That, that I'm, I'm, I'm part of the school environment. And I just think in any leadership role, being present is crucial. I think being authentic is, is crucial. You have to be yourself. Um, be proud mm. of who you are. And, um, and, and we, we, we have a lot of discussions about weaknesses and, and, and how, do we, how do we develop, um, you know, how do we develop limitations? But we should be spending far more time on strengths and, and, and celebrating the strengths and recognising that, um, the great opportunities for growth is is through our strengths, what we're good at, and I think that um, I think if we've got a sense of comfort in who we are, in our sense of humour, in the way we approach others, um, and and we're authentic, then people will will be more inclined to trust you and and, and to put their faith in, um, in in your leadership. And and I think passions passions crucial in life. You've you've got to love mm. what you're doing, and um, and sometimes it's difficult when you've had a tough day to to maintain that uh, that passion or at least that um, that appearance. But but if you're energetic and enthusiastic and passionate, that's contagious, and that just resonates um, so so neatly throughout the the school or the organisation. So um, be present, be authentic, be passionate. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. I love that as a, as a finishing point. Uh, for those who have just really enjoyed what you've said and might want to reach out and thank you or just find out more about your school and, uh, you know, what are the ways in terms of LinkedIn or anything else that people can, can find or connect with you online, Chris? Yeah, thanks, Jono. Um, so North Home Grammar is on Facebook, on, on LinkedIn, um, on um, Instagram. So, so you, you just need to look up um, North Home Grammar. And, um, and, and obviously, we, we have the, the school website, which, um, which, which you can easily navigate at, um, at, at www.northhome. I think it's nsw.edu.au. But um, uh, that, that's obviously a, a great way of, of learning and understanding a little bit more about the school. But uh, we're definitely on those key social media forums. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Great, uh, great thoughts today. Great stories uh, as well. It's just been uh, been a lot of fun. And for our listeners, don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast, where I give you tips for casting vision and how to build a high performance team and how to become a better storyteller and and those sort of things. And and also leadership question of the day, a different question every day to help you as a leader grow in your leadership, to put a stone in your shoe, so to speak. And, and we need to be uncomfortable to grow. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you uh, to Chris for, for being so generous with your time, uh, for sharing so vulnerably. And I think it's going to encourage a lot of people. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Chris. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases, you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. 
And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.